Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Tim Ball back to the show. We've done many, many segments in the area of understanding weather and climate over millions of years. He is one of the few people that the world's powers that be have gone after to try to silence his ability to thoroughly and completely and contextually communicate how climate is studied, how it works, and make it intelligible to the average person. He has authored peer review articles for over a 40-year span. He's a climatologist. He is a generalist. And he has an ability to understand history, to think, and to communicate in such a way that everybody can get it. And today we're going to be talking about how the IPCC set up the World Meteorological Organization and the weather bureaus and how they work in the context even for an example of what happened with Hurricane Sandy. We have so much to talk about, and I really want you to give him a warm welcome He's one of the people that's out there fighting for the ability to speak and write freely and to stand up to dissent being silenced and free speech seeing the end of its life. If Dr. Tim Ball loses his legal cases, that is a loss for all of us on planet Earth with respect to free speech. He's a very brave man and a huge global target. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dr. Tim Ball back to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Good morning. I really appreciate you being here. It's been a long time since we've had you on, and I know that you've been very, very busy writing your new book. I even forgot to mention that you are one of the authors in Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. You're received as being very controversial, brilliant, and you always inform people of the whole aspect of what's going on. Talk a little bit about the history of how the World Meteorological Organization was set up and why this is relevant to understanding the weather bureaus and even Hurricane Sandy and how it's been handled. Well, thanks for those kind comments, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come back and talk about these things. And I guess I guess to sum it all up, I'm, I'm just a, a born educator. I, I just got to help people understand things. But in response to your question about the WMO, uh, when... Um, they were setting up uh, through the Club of Rome. They wanted to um, focus upon CO2, and that's the question everybody keep, needs to keep in the in the front of their mind, not just the back of their mind. Is why the focus on this one little gas? And of course, uh, it was identified as the byproduct of the industrialized nations that was causing global climate change and so on. And it it then was became the focus for, really, uh, uh, world control. And I know as soon as you say that, it was all conspiracy theory and so on. But that use of that um, saying it's a conspiracy theory has almost become an insult. It's like um, parallel with saying, oh, you're a climate change denier with all of the Holocaust connotations associated with that. But Morris Strong, who... Um, I've talked to people that worked with him, that that have worked uh, under him, and um, people that knew him both in school and throughout his life. And, and they, the one thing that they attribute to him is that he was a superb organizer, particularly of bureaucracies. And, of course, they wanted to um, establish 
a way of, of using CO2, um, the, the so-called greenhouse gas, really to control global economies. And um, so they couldn't cut off the fuel to the engine the, because they knew people would scream right away. But if they could show that the byproduct, the exhaust of those engines, was causing global warming, then, then there was tremendous problem. So Strong took his organizational abilities um, into the United Nations and set up the United Nations Environment Program. And then out of that came two branches. One was the political branch, which was the Agenda 21, which is now starting, people are starting to realize exactly what it entails. And the other side of it was to control the science, particularly the science of climate. And he did that through setting up the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. He did that in conjunction with the World Meteorological Organization. Now, the, the UN... Um, has done a lot of very good things. There, there are things that needed to be handled on a global scale. For example, the International Civil Aviation Organization, which uh, it controls uh, flight and, and makes some sense out of, of uh, traffic control, air traffic control. And, of course, uh, the World Meteorological Organization was originally set up as a central clearing place for weather data that was collected by individual nations. But what, what Strong did was by uh, putting them, uh, having them in control of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, then individual nations nominated the people that would serve on the IPCC. And, of course, they, it gave the uh, weather agencies in each country really control of, of that UN uh, agency. And there's a couple of things about it. One was, of course, that if the politicians... Uh, started to ask questions and say, well, you know, what what, what are you guys doing um, and why are you saying this? Well, the, then the scientists in these bureaucracies could turn around and say, well, we're the experts. You know, how dare you question us? And and I know a lot of politicians got completely cowed by that uh, reaction. And um, so what 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 it did was then it, it fulfilled Mary McCarthy's comment about bureaucracies, the rule of no one, the modern form of despotism. But the other advantage that it gave was that these um, bureaucracies in, in many countries controlled all of the funding that was going to climate research. And um, you can read about this on Joanne Nova's wonderful website uh, where she did a, a, a really detailed study. And, and the numbers of, of dollars involved are, are just huge. Um, but in Canada, is the one that I'm particularly familiar with. In Canada, we have, um, and of course, this whole argument about government funding and government control of things and what government should be in and shouldn't be in was really central to the whole U.S. election. Hold one second. I want to stop yeah. you for a moment here. Sure. I still want you to make a little more clear. The World Meteorological Organization, are you saying is a proxy for the IPCC and does what with respect to the weather bureaus? That you kind of glossed over. I want it more clear. Okay, the World Meteorological Organization is made up of delegates from the individual weather agencies of each country. So, for example, the, the uh, National Oceanographic and, and um, Aeronautical Administration, NOAA, uh, they send delegates to the IPCC. They decide who's going to be on it, and um, therefore they effectively control it. They control what? They control 
who who is serving on that on that uh, on the IPCC? They they determine who the scientists are. They determine who the bureaucrats are that are going to to be in attendance. So, for example, you will see uh, numbers thrown around um, like there's 2,400 people on the IPCC. But very few of them are actual scientists, and even fewer are actual climate scientists. They are bureaucrats sent from these individual uh, national agencies. And um, so um, that, that's how they've controlled using the, um, the IPCC. Why does NOAA have a stake in the IPCC? Why do they care? Well, Other than the fact that they can pick people to go to the IPCC, what makes you so sure that NOAA is consciously picking people for an agenda which will be expressed through the IPCC? And I'm still unclear about the World Meteorological yeah. Organization's relationship to NOAA. Those are very legitimate questions, and and of course um, it tends to border. Don't you know, get onto the conspiracy theory uh, ideas again. But uh, just let me quote from Richard Lindzen, who's the um, professor of meteorology from um, at MIT. Right, and he said he said this: uh, the IPCC's emphasis, however, isn't on getting qualified scientists, but on getting representatives from over 100 countries. The truth is only a handful of countries do quality climate research. Most of the so-called experts served merely to pad the numbers. And so uh, what Strong did was that he set up the IPCC and said, look, I want every nation involved. Um, and the, the, uh, your National Weather Agency will then nominate people that will serve on the IPCC. And, um, but through the Climatic Research Unit, where the emails that were leaked that exposed a lot of the corruption that was going on, we, we saw that um, c- certain uh, lead authors of certain chapters of the IPCC were controlled by very few people. And um, the, so for, just to give you one example, with NOAA, the National Oceanographic Administration, um, it was a, a scientist by the name of Susan Solomon. Now, Solomon had been it very heavily involved in the whole ozone, um, so-called holes in the ozone issue. Um, and, um, when it, and she was the one that said that there was clear proof that CFCs were causing the ozone destruction. There never was any proof. And the whole ozone um, pattern was a forerunner to the CO2 and the global warming issue. Um, and the Montreal Protocol, of course, which was set up, which, which was touted as, oh, that's, that shows that, that the Kyoto Protocol can work. And well, Solomon went on to become the co-chair of, of the IPCC science report for the 2007 report. So these connections between the bureaucrats and these agencies. Now, one of the things that has not been uh, talked about a great deal. Before you get to the part of what has not been talked about, you started to say the connections between these agencies and then you kind of fell away. What about the connections between these agencies? Well, well, the connections between these agencies is that, that through the World Meteorological Organization, which was originally designed as, as simply uh, a clearinghouse for data, now they did produce te- a few technical reports and things like that, 
uh, and they sort of standardized the terminology and the way that data would be collected. But it, it turned it into a, a political organization through the IPCC. And, and, of course, one of the things connecting back to my comment about one of the things not talked about is that we now have in our bureaucracies and, and uh, in, in the public world uh, generally the products of environmental studies programs, of, of um, people that have been indoctrinated into only one uh, view of the world. So they take their philosophy into their bureaucratic job. Bureaucratic jobs are not supposed to be political, but they have become increasingly political, and and um, they're, they're, they're supposed to be above all of that, and, and the politics is supposed to be left to the politicians. But, of course, you, you get now these bureaucracies full of these so-called experts um, who then dictate to the politicians who are not experts about what's got to be done. And and so if you're going to have, for example, policies on fisheries, well, the, the fisheries policies are going to be done by fisheries people who've come out of schools of environmental studies, and and um, you know we we humans are causing the destruction of the earth and all of these other things. So there's a whole philosophical um, uh, bent that's been put into into the bureaucracies. Now, of course, what's interesting is and um, We we saw it a bit after the end of the Second World War, uh, where people were coming back from the war and they were going back to school and they were coming out of the schools. Well, the really good people were getting hired by private industry. The really sharp ones, the the ones that uh, had uh, ideas, those that were lesser qualified, lesser abilities, were ending up in government. And uh, it, 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 was, um, it was an amazing separation of the quality of top people. And, of course, you saw that uh, in the U.S., for example, in, in that uh, most of the best research and f- at, at the frontier research was being done in the corporate labs, such as Bell Labs, AT&T, IBM. These people were, were doing their own research and development, and of course, part of what caused the collapse of a lot of these, or downfall of a lot of these large uh, corporations, was they stopped spending money on the research and development. Can we go back for just yep. a moment, Tim? Because yep. you're so knowledgeable about so many things in history, and are so used to connecting the dots of things that are happening. Yeah. When we spoke a few days back on the phone, we talked about Hurricane Sandy and the role of the Weather Bureau, of NOAA's role that NOAA could have prevented the fallout of this, the collateral damage after Hurricane Sandy. Do you remember that? Yes. Well, well of course. Uh, I want you to talk about that because that really sparked my interest as being very, very important for people to hear. Yes, well, of course, one of the things that you see um, when we talk about these weather agencies like NOAA and they have the National Hurricane Center, and and uh, these people have become media, the people that run these centers have become media stars. And, of course, they go to the go to them and say, well, here's our, our expert at the National Hurricane Center, and they present things. Well, it, it, it's become uh, driven by what the media want to hear. And um, it's, it's not good science at all. It's not rational uh, in its thinking. And, of course, it's always presented out of context. 
And you're never, they never explain to you how they get the numbers, where the numbers come from. Now, what happened, uh, what's been happening with hurricanes, of course, is that you, you get a classification system. And, um, and we need to just give a little bit of background yeah, on Yeah, I that. want you to really lay it out the way you laid it out to me the other day on the phone, because that is so startling. Okay, uh, uh, hurricanes are, are a particular weather system that develop in tropical waters. They form in all the oceans of the world, but they're most uh, most uh, prolific in the Atlantic Ocean because of the uh, the geography and the layout of the oceans and the land masses, and of course the fact that they come ashore into the North American continent on a regular basis, and they have done for millennia. Uh, and what happens is that you get a, a warmer area of water close to the equator. During the summertime, the sun's vertical rays heat the water down to a quite considerable depth. And that becomes then a, a pool of energy that's heating the air that's sitting over it. A, a low-pressure area develops, and, and it's called an, an easterly uh, wave, and it, but it can't, it doesn't form into a circular motion as most people think of weather systems as being circular because of the lack of, of the effect of the rotation of the earth called Coriolis force. So you will never find a hurricane forming within eight degrees of the equator because there's no Coriolis force. And, and so this easterly waves form and what it is is, it, a long line of thunderstorms, and they move from uh, east to west, which is the opposite of the weather systems in the middle latitudes in the northern U.S. and Canada, which goes from west to east. So these, these systems are forming off the coast of Africa as an easterly wave. As they move uh, towards the Americas, the heat, the heat from the water now is adding moisture uh, evaporating moisture and then adding heat into those storms, and it starts to get longer. And once it it gets away, more than eight degrees away from the equator, th- that line of thunderstorms starts to form around into a circle. So you now have a, a circle of thunderstorms with which are all low pressure within the middle of it, a uh, high pressure which is the eye of the hurricane. Okay, but I want you to also, while you're telling the audience this, I want you to explain why this is relevant, why Noah and their knowledge is relevant, and how this has to do with Sandy. You see, they're watching, they're monitoring these these systems, and they're forecasting using their computer models which direction they're going to go and where they're going to track and and of course, what, it's very interesting because uh, quite often uh, you can watch a TV station and they'll show a track of of, of the the potential track of the hurricane, but they don't tell you that's only from the the computer model they chose to follow. There are other computer models showing a different track. And, How is that uh, possible? Well, because because the computer models are so imprecise, and and um, and so it's it's really a. a, a at best, an educated guess. I want to get back to this, and I want to stay on it. I don't think that you're relaying what you relayed to me the other day on the phone. Either I was out of my mind and heard something different, or you said what you said, and it's not being said the same way now. My question to you, Tim, is the following. With respect to Sandy, what 
is the role, the responsibility of an organization like NOAA, and what is your issue with them with respect to reporting and how it affects people who have experienced Sandy? I want you to be very specific about it. Okay, what I'm doing now is is following the process of development of a a, a hurricane, which, of course, uh, eventually Sandy very briefly became. But it starts with this easterly wave, then becomes a, a tropical depression, when, that when it gets into that circular form that I talked about, then its category is determined by the wind speed. So it goes from a, a, a depression to a tropical storm, and then when the wind speed get the surface wind speeds get above 75 miles an hour, 120 kilometers an hour, it is then classified as a Category 1 hurricane. All right? So the wind speed then, which is in a sense just arbitrary, You just decide, well, okay, once it gets above 75, then we'll call it a hurricane. Well, if it's 74 or 75, the wind speed, the amount of damage it does, there's not a lot of difference. So it's just an arbitrary scientific classification system that the NOAA put onto that weather system. Now, of course, from the media point of view, they want to hear, oh, is it a hurricane? Is it a hurricane? Because the minute you say it's a hurricane, then you can have all the sensationalism that the media wants so desperately. So you see them, these systems developing. Some of them, by the way, they'll, they'll form, uh, they'll never get to be a hurricane level. They just stay at a tropical storm. Some of them become, briefly become a hurricane, then peter out for a whole variety of reasons. But with Sandy, they're, it, it, it's coming late in the season, and it's tracking towards the Americas, and then it, it turns to the north, as, it, as they always do. They come from Africa. And by the way, one of the things about numbers of hurricanes, they're saying, well, the numbers have increased. No, what happened was that Noah changed the area over which they were measuring the number of hurricanes. In other words, they expanded the area towards Africa, which then resulted in an apparent increase in the number of these systems. It wasn't really an increase. They were just measuring a bigger area. But anyway, they're, they're tracking towards the Americas. And then as they turn north, then they come under the influence of the westerly winds, the jet stream winds that are blowing from west to east. So they turn, and then it becomes difficult for the computer model to determine, you know, is it going to hit Florida? Is it going to go off uh, towards Bermuda? Or is it going to get into the Gulf of Mexico and get more warm air and water added and an increase in, in, in intensity and so on? And so uh, the, the computer model is guessing all the time. Now, what Noah do is they send aircraft up, and um, it's, it's pretty dangerous flying because you're talking about severe vertical winds and storms, but they'll send aircraft up. They measure wind speed at altitude, and then using a computer model, they use that to determine what the wind speed is at the surface because you've got no weather stations out over the ocean. And and so, of course, what happened with Sandy was it was a tropical storm. It started to turn north, and it looked like it was just going to stay off the coast. And then the computer model started to show, oh, no, it's going to turn in over New York. Now, what wasn't talked about and what wasn't on the media was the fact that the jet stream 
which had pushed right down over parallel to the Appalachians, and you can look at the jet stream pattern for October 29th and 30th, and it pushed down, and the jet stream actually bulged towards the west. So instead of the jet stream blowing from west to east, it was blowing from east to west, which of course then guided a directed hurricane or Sandy, the tropical storm, uh, which briefly became a hurricane. I'll talk about that in a minute. It, 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 the, the computer model was showing quite correctly. Well, it's, it's going to turn in over, over New York. And of course, that then became the issue. Now, what also became the issue was, of course, that, that it was, a, it was a tropical storm. But they, they wanted it so badly to be a hurricane. And they got one reading. And all of a sudden, it hit that magic 75 miles an hour, and bang, it was a Category 1 hurricane, and, and the media are all over it. You have a hurricane heading towards New York, and, and, and it's going to cause devastation, and it's the storm of the century, and on and on and on. And, and, and it's rubbish. I mean, all you got to do is go and look at the, the historical record in Noah for the number of these storms. I mean, traditionally, they were called nor- nor'easters. And if you read David Ludlam's wonderful volumes on um, American weather stories, David Ludlam unfortunately died in 1993, but he put together marvelous records of all of the great storms and blizzards of, of American history. And you see that, that, that Hurricane Sandy wasn't uh, unusual at all. And, and, but they wanted it to have it as, as, a, uh, as a hurricane. Now, what they missed... And they didn't report enough with Hurricane. I don't say Noah didn't miss it necessarily, but because of the presence of the jet stream, it intensified the low pressure of of Sandy. And what a lot of people don't know is that the atmosphere pushing down on the surface of the Earth is a weight. And, it, and it's a weight that on average is 14.7 pounds per square inch. And that pushes down the surface of the ocean. So when the atmosphere gets lighter with a low pressure system, and the atmospheric pressure is not as great, and the barometric pressure then reduces, then the ocean actually bulges up because the weight of the atmosphere on it is reduced. But I want to go back. I have to stop you now. I want to go back because I want it clarified. What is your issue with NOAA? My issue with NOAA is that they are presenting as if they are, are much more knowledgeable and, 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 of course, they're catering to the media too much. That's the problem. They want the extreme weather. It's part of the IPCC thing and the stories you hear about, oh, there's more hurricanes or there's more uh, right. I, I realized there was a lot of communication about, oh, this is from climate change. I mean, all of a sudden that whole dialogue was happening in America. I watched it. It was constant. And this is a result of climate change. And I know that you said, look, this kind of weather has been going on for millions of years, not thousands of years. So my question to you is, what is the final analysis of this? Well, the final analysis is that that instead of putting things, being calm, being apolitical, presenting all of the data that NOAA are catering to the extremism because of their connection with the IPCC, Okay, I get right. that. I okay, get that. If, if you think about it, for example, just another illustration of it, and it, this isn't necessarily Noah's per se, 
But, you know, Al Gore got the Nobel Peace Prize for what he did on, on climate change in his movie and so on. Well, the IPCC got, uh, were, they were co-winners of that Nobel Peace right, Prize. Right, I know. The head of the IPCC got a Nobel Prize. I mean, Barack Obama got a Nobel Prize. And, well, I know. And, I and, mean, and, before anything happened. And, and this year they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to Europe. Which I mean, it's so crazy. You can't I know. Imagine. I mean, it's it, the whole I, thing has been contaminated. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, but here's the point I want to make with it. Gore came out and said, "Oh, the sea level is going to be twenty foot rise in the next uh, hundred years or so." Well, the IPCC weren't saying that at all. But nobody at the IPCC came forward and said Al Gore is wrong. Al Gore is not telling you the correct information. Well, that's my argument with Noah. They're not out there saying, no, there aren't more hurricanes. Our records don't show that. Well, how do you know what their records show? I'm just curious. Well, well because they, their records are, are on their website. You can go and look at the number of hurricanes. And, and, and this was part of the, you know, Chris Lancey, who is a national, he's a hurricane expert. And he quit the IPCC because he was saying, no, the number of, of hurricanes has not increased. And I will not allow you to put that in the IPCC report. And and uh, so this, this, you've got these... these uh, right, you have the subversion of science, basically. Yeah, exactly. You've got, the, you've got the use of science for both political and media extremism ends. And that's not what your government should be doing. Your government should be there as the agency of of calm, apolitical, amoral, reliable data. And and you've got two problems. One is you've got that they, they are not presenting all of the data they've got. And then there's the, the, the thing of omission. They're not telling you what they haven't got. They present it as if, as if they know everything. Um, and, uh, I mean, as, as long ago as 1990, the National Academy of Sciences did a study on, on weather data and said, you know, we, we just don't have enough data to know what's going on with the weather and climate. And they've closed weather stations since then. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. No matter what the state of the economy is, there will always be time-honored traditions and special events. The Sterling Hut has been in business since 2008, offering a wide range of fantastic sterling silver products, including finely crafted mint julep cups, personalized baby shower gifts, photo albums, exquisite jewelry boxes and awards, and so much more. The Sterling Hut is an authorized Silver Star international reseller of fine silver products and anniversary gifts. The business is owned by Jewel and Bob Howard. If you would be interested in buying someone a gift of pure sterling silver or sterling plated silver, you can call 1-888-819-1009. Get a 15% discount by going to the Sterling Hut, the Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, Hut, H-U-T, dot com, and saying it's rainmaking time. They will honor a 15% discount for you. Beautiful sterling silver gifts for all of life's occasions, manufactured in Italy and handcrafted by skilled artisans. They can also be engraved in sterling picture frames, oval and rectangular silver trays, champagne ice buckets, silver goblets, coffee and tea service, coffee pots, silver mugs, candelabras, and silver jewelry unrivaled in design and style. 
Go to the Sterling Hut at sterlinghut.com. And back to the show. Do you know that astrophysicists who are watching the sun have told me that most of the world has no idea the influence and the impact on the magnetic field that the sun does on the earth, including damages to ozone, damages to other parts of our earth. And it's amazing. I said this at the beginning when I first started my journey to try to understand what was going on and even to get a frame of reference for this. When I started to see that the role of the sun wasn't even a factor in looking at weather and climate, I don't know how anybody could not have it be a player. I mean, it's very strange to me that the sun's activity is not even a core in looking at anything because we get a lot of radiation, cosmic rays, all kinds of stuff, magnetic field changes, and it's not even at the core of the findings of what's going on with climate and weather. I find it odd. Well, of course, Kim, you're, you're hitting on exactly the point. And, and, of course, one of the things uh, that I got into trouble over was an article that I wrote where I said the IPCC set climate research back 30 years. And the, with regard to the climate issue in the sun, and, and, and by the way, I'm aware of all of that magnetism and the influence of that. And there were people like Theodore Landscheid who was producing stuff showing the relationship with, with solar magnetism and weather and so on. But none of that fits the IPCC agenda of keeping the focus on CO2. Now, if you go, and one of the ways they did it, we did talk about this before, and again, I, I, I blame NOAA for this because they're going along with the IPCC game. They should be out there saying, no, no, there's a lot more to this. Now, when I talked about Morris Strong and how he set up the IPCC, and, and I'm going to sort of step back and put this again in context, I used to think that when a government, uh, politicians were, there was a conflict, and the, and the politicians and people were screaming at them, and what are you going to do? When, when, you, know, you, you can see it with Libya and Benghazi and all that, and, and every, everybody's calling for a special inquiry and, and so on. And I used to think when a politician finally came out and said, okay, we'll have a, 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 a special inquiry, whatever, congressional inquiry, a, a, a special prosecutor, whatever, um, Great, we got the politics out of it. It's now going to be arm's length from politics. Nothing could be further from the truth. And 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 I discovered that by being appointed to my, to one of these commissions of inquiry, because there was a conflict, uh, and in fact, some of the most um, vociferous and nasty conflicts are over water. And I was appointed to a commission over people fighting about water in a, in a particular lake in Canada. And uh, so I thought, great. I, not only are they are they going to keep this arm's length from politics, but I'm going to I'm going to have be able to pass some uh, academic and, and sensible input to it. Well, great. I'm appointed to the commission, and then we get the terms of reference, and the terms of reference tell the commission what they can do, what they can look at, what data they can access. In other words, they dictate what can be done and what can't be done. And when I looked at the terms of reference we got for that, that study, I discovered we couldn't even get the data we needed to begin looking at the problem. And so what I did was I said, look, to the chairman, Doug Duncan, I said, Mr. Duncan, unless you go back to the minister and say, we want full authority to look at everything, 
I am, I'm, I'm going to go to the media and say, look, you're, you're tying our hands on this issue. You're predetermining the outcome with these terms of reference. Now, you, we talked earlier in this conversation about conspiracy theories. Most of the conspiracy theories that are out there today are because the government have put limits on investigation into a particular problem. And, and whether it's the Roswell alien UFO thing or the Kennedy assassination. And, um, and of course, um, I, I watched an interview with Justice Warren, who was appointed to the Kennedy Assassination Commission. And he was interviewed, and they said, well, Judge Warren, why didn't you look at the mafia connection in Dallas with Jack Ruby and, and of course, the Kennedy's connection and, and Robert Kennedy and so on and so forth? And, 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 and Warren just simply quietly said, it wasn't in my terms of reference. Well, that's a comment that for 99% of the people just simply flies over their heads. But I knew exactly what he was saying. What he was saying was, I basically was told that's off limits. You don't look at that. Let me just add something to this, yeah. because in my experience of looking at this whole area of conspiracy, usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And when anybody and any group has something to hide and something is functioning as if it's classified, there's usually trouble. There's usually something going on. So I know that we have Cass Sustine who would love to squelch anybody's ability to question any official story in the world. But that should be really the root of what is considered a free and open society where you do have the ability to question. Most of the official stories are ridiculous. They're ridiculous. They take the public as being morons. People say, oh, such and such, it's a conspiracy theory. Well, if you start to do the footwork on most of the official stories about stuff that's on the news, the propaganda machine, I mean, you know that yep. these stories are planted, they're concocted, they're spun. You right. can't take most of what you're hearing on television, what's being relayed as being true. What I also find is that a lot of conspiracies, the essence of the findings are true. The core pieces are true. There's usually cover-ups. They're hiding critical material. They're hiding the revelation of what's going on, period. That's it. And so to me, most conspiracies, whether they're right or they're wrong about the ultimate translation, the ground of findings are usually true, which is that yep. there's a cover-up, there's a lie, there's a deception, there's multiple stories and spins on something that just is not true, period. Yep. But with respect to what's happening with you, and I want to go back to you because yep. you're one of the people that's being attacked the most and you are a target of galactic proportion and the powers that be that are driving the formal climate findings want you out of the picture. And the way they want you out of the picture is to sue you and tie you up in court and to drown you in financial servitude so that you can't function and can't do anything, not only to ruin your reputation and to call you a climate denier, but also to go after you so that you cannot function for the rest of your life. I mean, it's obvious. I want you to tell the public who's listening to its rainmaking time why you're in court. What are you being accused of? Why are you being sued? Multiple lawsuits. I've had six lawsuits, all from one lawyer. I just simply chose not to fight the first ones because I couldn't afford the cost. But eventually I got two lawsuits about things I had written. And, um, of course, we were able to show their fair comment. 
Um, and um, so uh, I, my wife and I just simply sat down and said, no, we, 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 we've got to fight back. We can't be pushed around anymore. What was most encouraging was that uh, once the, the word got out and people have uh, contributed tremendously to my legal fund, and some of the things that were encouraging, uh, by the way, Kim, was that I had some people that said, look, we disagree with you, but we do uh, believe you have the right to say what you say. And that was very encouraging. But it was all about free speech. Now, what, what I had done, actually, I really had done done nothing. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it was because it was in Canada where we don't have the protections or, or presumably don't have the protection of free speech that the Americans have, um, the lawsuits would not have been brought in the U.S. They simply wouldn't, no lawyer would, would have would have allowed it. To Are you brought. saying that because you wrote something in a Canadian publication that your right for free speech protections doesn't exist, but if you wrote the same article and it was in USA magazine or online article, you would have been protected? Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. Now, the good news is that the Canadian government just recently, within the last three or a few months, um, has passed freedom of speech uh, legislation. But, of course, it doesn't work retroactively. And, uh, and what's interesting is that one of the lawsuits against me is by an American in a Canadian court. And so you get all of these tra- uh, transnational and international conflicts that go on. But are you, are you saying, wait a minute, I want to go back. I want to really yeah. get this. Are you saying that if you have a total disagreement, totally different perspective, and speak in a way that reveals that somebody's either lying or deceiving, or you speak not pleasantly about somebody, and you write it, that you're going to court, you're going to be sued? Yes, it, it, it's uh, uh, under a general uh, rubric of defamation. How can anybody write anything? If you find evidence, for example, that Al Gore is a total liar and he's been lying for years and you wrote about it in a Canadian paper, you mean he can sue you from the United States? Yes. What happens is that a lot of people and newspapers have lawyers uh, permanently. uh, They vet it through their, their lawyer before it goes into the newspaper. And, of course, one of the things that I've learned is that there are certain weasel words that you can use. Instead of saying Al Gore is a liar, you say it appears that Al Gore is a liar. By using those, what I call them, legal weasel words, you, you just simply say, no, it's an opinion. It's not a statement of fact. And, and, and so it's just playing. Well, isn't that inferred? I mean, isn't this a game then? Of course, it's your opinion. You're uh, writing totally. it. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, but you see, in Canada, um, I, I had a choice. I could def- I could defend myself by saying that what I said was fair comment, and that is a, a lot more easy to prove. And and uh, there's there's an advantage to uh, saying my my defense is that it's fair comment, because if I lose that lawsuit, the damages and costs, the most that's ever been assessed is twenty five thousand dollars. So you can afford to defend it without the loss of them taking everything you own. And and uh, so you, you people opt for that. Uh, no, it was fair comment. But if you say it's fair comment, you are not then allowed the process of discovery. You cannot force them to disclose documents. And of course, the documentation is is essential. 
to to what's going on, particularly with this with the, these climate issues. Well, listen, anything in law, if you don't have the option of discovery, then I think you have a corrupted process. That's the situation. Talk about terms of reference. Well, of that's course. a corrupted and, process, yeah. right there. Yes, exactly. Now you can, and now you can. And what I chose to do was, I chose to defend myself. Not only that it was fair comment, but it was the truth. But the minute you say it's the truth, then the onus of, of proof is way higher. But you can have discovery. You can force discovery. But but then, as I said, if you lose uh, a, a lawsuit trying to defend saying it was the truth, they can take everything you own. They can literally clean you out. And, and, and uh, so, of course, this is why people just opt for the, um, you know, that, it, that it was um, uh, fair comment and, and uh, take the risk. But, I mean, how do you prove fair comment if you can't get the documentation? Uh, so, so the whole thing is, is just so bizarre. This is why the, the Americans uh, have got to realize how incredibly valuable. The Founding Fathers, the genius of putting freedom of speech at the very top, is, is total genius. Because if you haven't got that, you've got nothing. You have nothing. And, and, and of course, as I said, when we, when we talked about terms of reference and how you limited things, and, and it can flip back into that, by the way, with the IPCC. Maury Strong knew this. When they wrote the, the terms of reference for the IPCC, they did it through Agenda 21 and the United Nations um, uh, Council on Climate Change, UNFCCC. <clears throat> they, defer, they defined climate change as only those climate changes caused by human activity. They limit it. Once you define something, you actually limit the ability for discovery, period. You take everything outside it off the table. Right. Okay. Now, by, by saying that you're only looking at changes caused by humans, then you immediately take out all natural causes of climate change. They're gone. And you can't possibly determine how much effect, if any, humans are having if you don't know how much is changing or varying naturally. So, in other words, what they did was they, they predetermined the outcome. Now, what's bizarre is that even more than that, and you can, you can go and look at their report where they list the variables that they looked at, so they look at CO2. They don't even look at water vapor. Uh, because they say that humans are not contributing enough water vapor to the atmosphere to cause cause any climate change. But water vapor is 95% of the greenhouse gases. And then they do, in a bizarre turn, the only natural uh, cause of climate change that they include in their study is the sun. And you think, oh my good, yeah, they've got it in there. But then you discover that they only include one way that the sun changes the uh, global climate, and that is the heat and the light. They don't look at changes in the magnetism that you were talking about. Yes. They don't talk about changes in, in the sunspot activity and its Or interfering with the ionosphere or damaging no, the ionosphere. No, and they don't even include the fact that the orbit of the Earth uh, is changing all the time, which changes global temperature, or that the tilt of the Earth is changing all the time, that changes global temperature, or that the date on which uh, the, the uh, length of day and night are, are, are equal, the equinoxes, that those dates change constantly. 
Can you do me a favor? Because there's something that you shared in one of the earlier interviews that we did that was so profound, just to establish a frame of reference for everybody. You shared a context for CO2. I'm not saying exactly what you said, but it was like a relational understanding of CO2. If you get rid of a certain amount of CO2, it wouldn't affect anything. I can't explain what you said. There's some relational understanding that's really profound. By far the most important and abundant greenhouse gas, that is a gas that slows down the rate at which heat leaves the Earth's surface because the atmosphere is is cooled by the surface. People think it's the atmosphere is heated by the sun. It isn't. And, and if you want proof of that, simply jump in a jet airplane, go up to 40,000 feet and ask the pilot what the temperature is outside. And, and it's minus 30 or minus 40 or whatever it is. It's cold. No, I know from being in the planes it's cold. Exactly. And then, then you've you got to say to yourself, well, it should be hotter because I'm closer to the sun. <laughs> right? But it isn't. The source of the heat for the atmosphere is the surface of the Earth. So, again, that, that's something a lot of people don't understand. So the sun heats the surface of the Earth. That heat, then, is a different wavelength than the sunlight, and that lo longer wavelength of energy going up from the surface of the Earth, what we call sensible heat, is slowed down in its escape to space by the gases in the atmosphere that are generally called greenhouse gases. And the, the three main ones are car uh, water vapor, carbon dioxide, and methane. Now, car water vapor uh, is 95% of that effect of slowing down the rate at which heat escapes. Farmers know this. Farmers know that that if you um, uh, have got a clear sky in the fall, the heat's going to escape and you're likely to get frost. If you've got cloud cover or the humidity's high, then the temperatures won't drop as much. You see it in the desert. What happens in Phoenix in, in the, in the wintertime? The temperature goes up quite high, in, or in the summer even. The temperature goes up high in, in, in the daytime, but at night all that heat escapes and the temperatures drop. The range of temperature on a daily basis in the desert is great because there's very little water vapor in the air, much less because it's a desert. It's nothing to do with the CO2. Now, CO2, which as I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, became the focus not because of, of its role as a greenhouse gas, but because it humans were producing CO2 by burning fossil fuels, and they wanted to fulfill Morris Strong's uh, statement in a book called The Cloak of Green to Elaine Dewar when he said, the problem for the planet are the industrialized nations, and isn't it our responsibility to get rid of them? Well, the way you do that, the way they set about doing that was to prove that CO2 was increasing, it was causing temperature to increase, and therefore there was going to be runaway global warming and the Earth was going to fry. We'll go back to CO2. What percentage right. of CO2? 95% is water vapor. Right. Less than 4% is, is uh, CO2. And um, it, it's, uh, currently it's, it's said to be 392 parts per million um, is the CO2 component of, uh, in the atmosphere. And um, Al Gore will, is saying that that's as high as it's ever been. The truth is it's as low as it's ever been. When you look at the 600 million year geologic record, there are readings of CO2 levels as high as 6,000 parts per million. And in fact, for the last 300 million years, the average level of CO2 in the atmosphere has been between 1,000 and 1,200 parts per million. 
Now, we know that from the geologic record, but we also know it because plants function best, and of course they take in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. Humans take in oxygen and breathe out CO2. And the plants function best when the CO2 levels in the atmosphere are between 1,000 and 1,200 parts per million. We know that because commercial greenhouses will pump in additional CO2, which increases the plant productivity and yield by a factor of four. And that what that's demonstrating is that the plants which have evolved over the last 300 million years in an atmosphere that have between 1,000 and 1,200 parts per million. So that at 392 parts per million, which is the current level, the plants are essentially uh, CO2 starved. When I did an interview at the end of 2009, yeah. it was the day of the Copenhagen Climate Conference when the EPA declared that carbon dioxide, CO2, is now a pollutant and a toxin. And I did the interview with the gentleman that's the head of the Center for the Study of Carbon Dioxide and Global Exchange. What he said was so shocking. I mean, it was really stunning. We've been just so duped about this. I was in shock. I really was. I interviewed Sherwood Itso, who spent 40 years studying carbon dioxide. Right. I mean, and, and he's the guy that did so much work on, on, on influence on, on plant growth. For example, uh, it, it can be shown that because of the increase of CO2, natural increase, by the way, over, over the last um, 30 or 40 years, two bushels an acre increase in yields of wheat. Are, are attributed to it. And, and, that, and NASA have got uh, uh, satellite images showing the, the expansion of, of the vegetative area because of the increase of CO2. But the, the global levels are at uh, all-time lows right now because of, of, coming out, of coming out of the Ice Age. And so uh, Gore wants to reduce the level of CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, it, it just it would be catastrophic. I mean, the only way I could deal with it was is to was to be uh, introduce satire by saying that I wanted power of attorney on behalf of the plants to vote against any human plan to reduce CO2 in the atmosphere. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I just want to take a minute or two and share with you that we really appreciate you listening and sharing with your friends and loved ones and colleagues. And if you like the show, Show it. Write something really cool, really nice on It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes. We have our own store there. And like our Facebook page. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, feel free to do that. We send a bi-monthly newsletter out. And if you like it, share it with all your friends. Another thing we wanted to share with you is that somebody stepped in and started to do transcriptions for us. We have some transcriptions already done. If you would be interested, please drop us a line. We will be posting the transcriptions that are ready for sale. That's another way to assist the show. And for those of you who are in a position to donate $10 a month or $20 a month or more, please do so. Action speaks louder than words. We appreciate you. And thanks again for listening to It's Rainmaking Time. And back to the show. 
I want to tell you where I have issue with not what you're saying about the right. scientific side, but I could be considered an environmentalist. I'm not for chopping down a zillions of trees because you can. If we have alternative energy that we can use, and I'm not even talking about wind, I'm not even talking about solar. I'm talking about stuff that Tesla had his hands on, that Raytheon acquired the patents for and uses. So my issue is that if we don't have to pollute, and I come from CO2 is not a pollutant. I don't buy the propaganda. I'm out of the closet about that. I'm very clear that it's a very devious lie. That's where I stand. But there are better ways to bring energy to the world, okay? There's a lot of other chemicals that go into the air. I'm not for geoengineering. I think it's virulent stuff they're dumping into the air in all the NATO countries 24-7. I see it every day here in L.A. That's not even in the governmental panel either, the IPCC, that these military jets are spraying stuff every day. I have friends in other parts of California that are so sick from the spring 24-7. So I am not for geoengineering. I'm not for mercury and burning fossil fuels that go into the air. Unfortunately, and I know you know this more than most, the whole thing has been framed as an us versus them, like the greens against the non-greens and the people that don't care about the earth versus the people that care about the earth. That is a false dialogue. And so I'm not even in that dialogue. I'm not in that dialogue with you. I'm not in it with anybody. But when I did a piece on wind and I found out how corrupted wind power is, how expensive it really is, how we've been sold a lot of stuff about it, I was shocked, the politics in wind. Every time you go down one of the elements of trying to get your clarity about it, you see corruption happening. And the bottom line is, just like in the health industry, until you're free to choose what kind of remedy you want to use and you're not forced to use certain remedies from the AMA, we're not forced to only take on certain types of energy power. Until all that's opened up, we're not really going to get very far. It's all a bunch of infighting. And the thing is, I think the people that have created the lies and the propaganda and have lied and deceived the public that are getting the public to fight with each other and hate each other and argue with each other, like by coming up with a dialogue called climate deniers, whoever planted that seed is absolutely clear that that is such a virulent seed to plant out there. And instead of invoking debate and discussion and allow people that are passionate, that come from different perspectives to discuss this and even to allow the free flowing frame of reference of how climate over millions of years and all these elements that you talk about to try to silence that tells me that the bottom line of this whole thing is that you have a very virulent group of people that are trying to change our light bulbs. They are redoing the grid here in America to smart meters. They call it a smart grid. And they come from that most of the people are so stupid that because they call it a smart grid, they will not know how much microwave radiation is sitting on their house or their apartment building, okay, that's being beamed through them. This stuff is so far-reaching. It's so far-reaching, this control grid. This microwave can tell when you're in your house, what you're doing, every appliance you use. It's ridiculous. Forget all the biological offenses to people, okay? It's a tracking system. And until people really get involved and understand that this is a global control mechanism at the highest level, and it has all these tentacles, that's why you're being attacked, okay? This is why you're being attacked.
Oh yeah, don't and, and I, I have there's trillions of dollars of infrastructure. You've yeah. got the utilities involved in this. It is huge. It is huge. And major players. And don't think that Gore isn't a player with generation management out of London. He is a player. He's involved in Google and he's involved in Apple and he's involved in the media. It is a nonstop siege to silence anything that isn't part of this. Yeah. Well, you, you know, what's interesting is, is that um, um, I've argued for some time now and I finally, you know, the things that you you were uh, becoming aware of and and get your mind around um, that first of all there's confusion between privacy and secrecy and I'm coming to the realization that we should not have either and and part of this and I'll tell you some quick story I was an operations officer for a Canadian uh, anti-submarine squadron on the east coast of Canada during the Cuban crisis and. Uh, we got our, our the officer would come up from Halifax with the new top secret codes for our, our, our radio equipment and so on, and um, the, he showed up. The, the first guy showed up. He said, "Well, here's your new codes," and of course we're getting instruction in what they are and how to use them. And then he said, "Oh, and by the way, uh, just as a matter of interest, the Soviets got these three days ago." <laughs> and I, I'm sitting there thinking, well, what what is going on? And of course, what you what I found out through my time in the military, for example, very few people know that there are microphones on the bottom of the ocean all around North America, listening to ship movements and, and all sorts of things, and they've been there for forty, fifty years. So one of the things that you discover is that um, that. At military level, other countries know more about your own country than you do. And, and I mean, it was certainly true of, of the Arctic Ocean and what the Soviets knew because they were transiting under the ice to get past the military barriers between Iceland and, and, and Scotland uh, during the Cuban crisis. And they, the, the sub, Russian submarines were popping up in the Atlantic. And said, well, how did they get there? And then we discovered they were going right under the ice and down the East Greenland Channel, which is the deepest channel of water in and out. So what, what happens is, is you start digging into these things, and you discover that, that you're being kept ignorant about 90% of what's going on. And and uh, so it it it's just everywhere that you look uh, that uh, somehow we've got to stop the secrecy we've got to stop the the uh, privacy. Well, why I mean, do you have privacy? The only reason you have privacy is let, let's say your medical records. It's because you might have a disease that you're embarrassed about. No, I don't agree with you on that, and I'll tell you why. Stand, yeah, stand by. But, but uh, it t- stand by. The answer degree, though, Kim. Stand by for a minute here. Yeah. I agree with you about the part where you're talking about there's a distinction between privacy and secrecy, but it's layers and levels, right? Eventually, one bleeds into the other. The question is when and how. To me, the need for privacy is simply because we are in an electronic civilization where we have a global and national government overreaching, doing things that they do not have the right to do, that they think they have the right to do, and they are, in effect, spying on people all over the world. Now, this brings up issues having to do with the National Security Agency. It brings up issues having to do with violating anybody's right to privacy. Hey, I know we have spy satellites in the air, but you know what? It's not okay to be spying on civilians. It's just not okay. The fact that 
my cell phone has a clipper chip in it where anybody can listen in at any time. There is such confusion around the distinction between transparency and privacy. But here's what I want to say to you. If there were not such obvious violations of human rights going on at every level, from your landline to your cell phone to your Skype, where all of your information, all of who you're talking with, all of your records, medical and otherwise, are constantly violated. And people at levels that are not responsible have the ability to have them. The reality is, unfortunately, that this violation has been going on, like you said, there's microphones at the bottom of the ocean. So this has been going on a long time. It's a question now of how overreaching it is. But I believe I have the right to my personal privacy. I have the right to my personal privacy for communication. I have the right to express dissent without being considered to be a terrorist or anti-government. I can profoundly, passionately disagree with the policies of an administration. That does not make me a terrorist, but the new laws that have been signed in executive orders translate that as somebody who is treasonous to this country. So be careful when you say you're not for any of it. Because we don't have any privacy anymore. There isn't any. No, but here's the problem, though, Kim. Once you start drawing a line, it's like it's like with the students would come to me and say, well, you know, I, I got 49 and the past mark 50. Could you find another mark? Well, yeah, then if you go to 50, do I find a mark for the students? You know, I mean, where when you start trying to draw lines, it becomes virtually impossible. You, you see it with, with the whole taxation thing. Well, well, we're going to give this person can claim this and that person. Uh, no, if you just have a flat tax. Well, let's not that. let's not change the subject though. I want no, no, I just want to I don't want to convolute this because no, I know, because basically I'm... what you have revealed yep. which I've always felt is that we live in an illusion of privacy. We don't really have it. But it is so over the top now, particularly yep. here. It is so over the top. It's ridiculous. It's yes, ridiculous, but, but it comes... Tim. No, but it comes about, Kim, because people start to say, oh, no, I, 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 you can't know that. And once you start to do that, then it, it, it you know, it's, it's well, let, let's, let's put, put it's it back. It's not just knowledge, speech. it's access. No, but well, it's access. But let me, let me just put it back to the free speech thing again. You see, the minute you say you either have complete free speech and you suffer, as I do, people that say nasty things, false things about me, yeah, I don't like that. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. But I'm prepared to put up with that in order to not have somebody else decide what I can say and what I can't say. Yeah, but you have organizations in the government that have beyond trillions of dollars, including black budgets that the public has no idea about. Yeah, of course. That are surveilling people on every level because they can. Yeah, but but the, the only way to get around that is not to allow any secrecy or any privacy. Just to just to say everything is open. Because the minute you start trying to draw lines, somebody will abuse it. Well, it's already and, being abused. What are you talking about? The whole National Security Agency is an abuse on yeah, human well, freedom no, no, and exactly. life. Exactly. But how did it come about? It came about because, oh, it, it, you know, that, well, we know what's good for you. Or, no, we, we can't disclose that to you. I mean, look at the ridiculous thing now where you, you put in freedom of information and you get an email. And I, I've seen them come out, emails where... Everything is blacked out except the, the title at the top. Look, that's not going away, 
Okay. No, what, it's but, not going away. In fact, it's getting worse. No, but the, the, but the answer is not everything out into the open because military cultural right. paradigms are not going to allow it. Fact. No. It's a fact. It's not going away. It's worse. If you accept that, if you say, okay, it isn't going to go away, it's going to get worse, then it's because you're not prepared to accept the only solution, which is t- no secrecy and no privacy of anything. The only way, that, the only reason. Well, if you're I, talking about an ideological solution, Tim, well, course, I get it. But, it, but, but if you're talking about living black, in this world, no, I'm no, talking no. about, I get what you're saying on an ideological level, then that's the way is to open it all up. Then why not aim for that? Why not aim for that? The only way that a blackmailer can function is because you are embarrassed by the information they have. No, not at all. Let me tell you something. When Farrah Fawcett was dealing with her cancer at Cedars-Sinai, okay, a clerk got a hold of her records electronically, and it started to get circulated. I mean, that kind of thing is different than it being in a folder. I'm sorry. You have no idea. I I believe you have no idea. What no, the do, electronic surveillance idea. is about, including our voting in America, which is gone. No, gone. Listen no, to Stephen Spudamore. What I, what I want you to think about is why was it so important that Farrah Fawcett's um, cancer wasn't available to other people? This is a whole other thing. I mean, no, seriously. No, if she just comes out and says, if she just comes out. Because it's she, none of anybody's business. That's why. Well, ah, but that's a different issue. You've made it their business by not saying if you come out and say, no. oh, I've got cancer. No, nobody- in this one, I think you're off in la-la land. No, it's fine to have an ideological perspective. I think you're in complete la-la land with the no, transparency. No, the, the power, look, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it's like. And, and, and I learned this lesson. Um, I had a dean. And you know, I respect you, and I, I I've know, learned I know, a lot but- from you, but I think on this one, you're in total la-la land. All right, well, well, think about this, Kim. I had a dean who just lorded it over me. I didn't, I was working on my doctoral thesis and he knew that I wanted to get tenure at the university. I wanted that job. And he, and of course he also knew that I knew I couldn't get it unless I had the doctorate finished. And boy, he just rode me mercilessly about that. Every time he saw me, how's that famous doctorate going? And just sticking the knife in, sticking the knife in. And Marty said to me, my good wife said to me one day, just next time he does it, tell him you're not going to finish it. You're fed up with it. You're scrapping it. And I can remember the day, May 23rd, in 1982, outside the dean's office. And he came out and he said, how's that famous doctorate going? And I said, I've had enough. I'm quitting. I'm fed up with it. I'm not going to finish it. Oh, oh, you can't do that. You're our best teacher. Oh, you can't. We need the old. Hey. I suddenly realized I had given him the control over me. And by having secrecy and privacy, you then provide the vehicles and the weapons that, of control that other people can have over you. Yeah, but my point is that may be fine in that particular example that you gave. But when it comes to the National Security Agency and other agencies that are uh, using trillions of dollars, it's a one-way spy zone, okay? Oh, it's not it open I, transparency both ways. No, I mean, not, can I'm you imagine how insane they go when people try to close their emails up instead of delivering a letter that's open, you know, like a letter that's unsealed. They go insane. I know, but but what I'm saying to you is we need to start rethinking that. Well, that's fine. But in the meantime, with your case, let's get personal because politics are great talking about it ideologically. Let's get personal. Every email you send, every phone call you make, Tim Ball, who's under attack for whom they're trying to destroy your entire life. 
Right. Your marriage, your children, everything. Okay. Not just your profession, everything about you. Yep. Every conversation you have by phone is being surveilled. Every email that you send. Right. You do not even have the ability to have privacy with your own attorney. Now, until it gets personal for you and you realize that you can't even have a private discussion when you're being attacked on your very life, you tell me that you don't need privacy. And I'm going to tell you you're dead wrong and you're in trouble if you don't change your thinking about that. You do need privacy. But I will persist in my view because I have nothing to hide. I'm not saying you have anything to hide. I'm saying that you have a war set against you. I know. You are being attacked so that you are taken down and they probably hope that your health will go bad and you'll die from this. Now that's okay. Of course, I know that. All right. Not, so this I'm is not, this is stupid. this is violent no, 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 stuff. I'm not. No, I'm you know? not. I'm not stupid about it. No, I know you are. I understand the freshness of the ideological perspective, but in the trenches, Doctor Tim Ball, I would say that you were in la la land to not close your emails, to not have private conversations with your counsel to the best of your ability, and to not show where you're going with your case. I, I understand. It doesn't what make saying, any but, sense. No, but here's the thing. I've got nothing to hide. I know that people can get anything and turn it into anything. In other words, it doesn't matter how much secrecy or privacy I got. They'll take something and spin it and present it in court in a, in a way that makes it look uh, you know, uh, But you're still wrong. thinking about you and your case, and you are just an example. And I'm telling I you, know. beyond you... No, but there are I, cases in other things. There's cases with pedophilia. There's cases uh, with the abuse of law enforcement. There's cases that have to do with money laundering. There's cases with a zillion things. I know that. But until we can get to the point where nobody can hide anything, then well, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's well, not. We, it, no, no, there's no such. I know you can't get perfection. Tim, you have not met enough people at a high enough level of classification to understand what's going on in the world. Well, but I it's have. way I, I, beyond even your, it's way no, 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 beyond no, how I, you're no, talking. No, no, I, I'm going to stop you there. I had the highest security classification clearance possible because, as I said, I was an operations officer for an active <laughs> squadron during the Cuban crisis. Uh, I know what was going on. I know the games that are played. It's worse than that. that. It's worse than that. I know it's worse than that. But what I'm telling you is I don't want to live in a world like that, and I will do everything to try and be as naive and idealistic and try and work back towards some level of sanity because that kind of world should not exist. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. If if somebody wants to destroy uh, my career, then and, and other people are willing to stand by and let it happen, and I can tell you from the, the amount of support that I've got that there's a lot of people not willing to let that happen. But the reason that a lot of people let it happen is because they don't even know it's going on. That's why I keep speaking out. If you keep speaking out, they can't shut you up. Oh, I agree with you. That's a separate That's a separate matter. Yeah, but that's back to the freedom of speech thing again. Yeah, well, and, I, and so, yeah, but we were on then secrecy and privacy. Well, that's a whole other thing. We can well, professionally disagree on a part of it. I agree that it would be great to be in an ultimate world where there was no need for a secret and no need for privacy. And that is the ultimate in being civil and living in a civil oh, society, right? Totally. Okay, now let me, let me introduce uh, and get back to, the, to the, the NOAA and the government agency and all these other things. But Marshall McLuhan, a Canadian, he coined the phrase global village. 
All right, and he was talking about it in the context of some of what we're talking about here. One, one was, of course, that um, it, it's an electronic world that information is known by everybody very quickly, and everybody knows everything about what's going on in the world. And he also introduced uh, the idea that the medium is the message, that how you see and hear the world is, is by how it's brought to you. Right, he's world famous for that. Right, okay, but here's the problem with the global village thing. In a, in a village, people live in it, they think they know everything when they know very little. But the most destructive people in the village are the gossips. And, of course, the mainstream media, the media, and the way that information is disseminated, they're the gossips in the global village. This is the sort of simple thing that most people don't even think about or not even aware of, of how we're manipulated. Uh, many times TV stations would call me and say, we're doing a program on this. And have you got some ideas? I'd give them ideas. About a half of them, they would come back and say, well, that's a good idea, um, but it doesn't lend itself to television. In other words, they couldn't create a visual image for television. And that, to me, uh, made me understand what McLuhan meant when he said the medium is the message. And uh, you you see that uh, so often, for example, uh, in terms of pollution. The only visual form of pollution, or not the only one, but almost the only one, is they'll show a smokestack with, or a chimney with smoke coming out of it. And, of course, nowadays, very little of that is pollution. It's virtually all you're seeing is water vapor uh, coming out the top of the chimney. And... and um, so, and that, by the way, goes back to your argument about uh, pollution. Yes, I, I, and they, they, they label CO2 a pollutant because they knew that would um, uh, work in terms of public image in the same way that they talk about CO2 and carbon as if they're the same thing, and they're not. But they know that carbon is black and dirty in people's minds, and, and therefore it, it sullies CO2. But so, so that in order to, to uh, present things, uh, particularly in a visual world, which with the television and so on, um, you're, you're presented in a certain way. So in other words, they're lying to you. Now, I, a, a classic example for me in Canada, they decided they were going to have uh, television, live television, in the Houses of Parliament. But the, parliament, the, the politicians set the rules. Is that only the camera can only be on the person speaking? You can't show the whole chamber because they knew there'd be people sitting there reading newspapers or sleeping, and and <laughs> also what what would happen is that when when a particular member was scheduled to speak, the other colleagues in that party would sit around them, not in their own seats, but just to make it look like there were a lot of people in the, in the house. So they were visually lying to you. And, I mean, that's the level that we've reached with all of this stuff. And to me, and we talked earlier about why uh, my objective, I mean, the ability, to, I, I just want to educate people to say, no, look, this is what you need to consider. Well, when I see anything that anybody does and that they're, they're only presenting a part of it, I want to be able to stand up and say no. And that was what I was, that, that's why we were doing this about Hurricane Sandy and Noah and how they uh, were used by the media. And, and they didn't come out, uh, they should come out after the story and say, no, this, this part of the story was wrong. But they can't get the media time for that. It's like, uh, you know, you, you could, uh, Heartland Institute, for example, 
They just got the Washington Post to say, yeah, they, they got the information wrong in a story. And, and the, the, the Washington Post came out and said, yeah, well, we're, we're sorry about the mistake. But what sticks, what's on the Internet when you Google is the lie, the original lie. And, and so uh, you just simply can't correct things. Or if the media say, yeah, well, well, we'll print a retraction, where do they do it? You know, in the back page, in the in the sports section somewhere, where the original story is front headlines. That's that's the kinds of of things that we need. So what we need is is a a, a vehicle where every single day there's there's a, a station which is saying, okay, they reported this to you. What they didn't tell you was this, or that what they said to you was this, and and here's why it's misrepresented. And I used to do that. I, I used to teach a course for seniors where every week we would take stories in the news and I'd say, no, here's the context for it. And, and of course, it's part of what you're asking me with Hurricane Sandy. Now, a couple of the things about Sandy, by the way, was I talked about the low pressure, which didn't get reported. That meant that the, the water level was higher. And then because of the, the way that the winds are rotating around that system of, of, the, of the tropical storm, it's onshore winds blowing that higher water levels onshore onto a shallow shore because there you've got the, the continental shelf, the water's getting shallower, and then you've got it blowing into a constricted uh, waterway. So all of those components led to uh, a much higher water level. Now, it was the same with, with, with Katrina. They misled the public about Katrina. They were bound and determined that it was going to be a, a Category 5, the maximum level hurricane. And, and oh, Noah came out and said, yeah, the hurricane said, yeah, we, we've, we've got a, it's a, class, a Category 5. Well, by the time it got on shore and they were starting to get surface wind measurements, not these uh, computer model estimates of the wind speed, suddenly she barely made, Katrina barely made a Category 3 hurricane. And the damage... At are you talking about Katrina or are you talking about Sandy? I'm confused. Well, no, I was talking about Sandy, but I'm saying they did the same thing with Katrina in New Orleans. In other words, they, they want for the media to have it as high a category as they can. Oh, they don't, it, you better batten down the hatches. The end of the world's coming. Let's just talk straight about this here. Yeah. From the point of view of living in the area, yeah. nobody really cares. There was a lot of damage, whether, you, whether we call this a storm, Sandy, or a hurricane, Sandy, whatever it was, it did create a lot of damage. It did hurt a lot of people. It ruined a lot of area. Yep. People are suffering tremendously. At the end of the day, that's what people care about. But the essence is you're talking about how the weather stations, how NOAA has co-opted the whole thing. Think about this. What caused the loss of life in, in, in Sandy? And what, what was the major cause of loss of life? And by the way, you talk about media to television. Most of the visual clips of television of Sandy were actually an area where there was an extensive fire. That was shown more often than anything that was done by wave damage or anything else, okay? And, and so the media picked up on it. It's, it's like with, with Clinton. I once estimated that he, he kissed or hugged, what's her name, uh, Monica Lewinsky, for, for 48 hours because they played that clip of him in the crowd there over and over and over again. <laughs> and, and, and they did the same thing with Sandy, that what the visual image was, was a, a lot of the times was where there was an extensive fire. You know that all this is done for ratings. 
Of course it is. It's all about ratings. But that becomes the people's memory and image, and that's what they push the politicians for policy on. By the way, I invited the AP to do an interview with me, and they refused. Of course. No, because I want the public to understand how the AP really works. Of course, and 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 I want the public to know how the media do the visual lying. Uh, For example, ask the ask the media about the over the shoulder shoulder shot. Right. What they do is they interview you, and then they do the shot of the interviewer face on, and you're the back of your head because the camera's behind you looking over your shoulder. Yeah, they can't see your lips moving. They can then put a voice over anything they want and make it appear like you're saying that in, in, in the uh, qu- answer to questions to the interviewer. There's nothing to do with that at all. It's a complete deception. I mean, the only way to do that is to have the voice morphing technology made by Insandia. <laughs> well, yes, but, but as you know, and, and, and there are lawsuits now uh, where there are companies that want to have Elvis Presley singing songs he never sang in his lifetime because they can now take individual notes and create songs in his voice. And even if you did an electronic analysis of that, you'd say, yeah, that's Elvis. All right. That's why. And by the way, I, I watched or listened to an interview with the guy that um, discovered the, uh, the Russian missiles in Cuba. And they said, would you like to be working in the uh, industry today? And, and you're, he said, no, absolutely not. And they said, why not? He said, they can, they can deceive things with Photoshop and, and electronically, so you just cannot distinguish truth from, from uh, image anymore. It, it's so distressing. And, of course, you got the tapes from Osama bin Laden. Why was there a delay before they said, yeah, no, it's definitely his voice? Because they knew that they, they have the ability to take a person's voice, take individual letters, and create that person saying words they never actually spoke. So so to, to know what's real and what's, what's doctored and what's created is simply gone. Now, we, to get back to the, to the hurricane thing again, uh, the... It, when when the hurricane hit Galveston, Texas in 1900, 6,000 people died. Almost all of them drowned. Why? Because the, the surge of water caused by the low pressure, caused by the onshore winds, and caused by it occurring at high tide, that combination meant that the dikes burst and the water flooded in. Same as Katrina. And why did the dikes burst at Katrina? Because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers knew they were not adequate, had asked for permission to strengthen them, and it was blocked by an environmental group that said, oh, no, there's a, a certain fish there, and we can't, we can't allow that. Now, the same with Sandy. Now, what's another way of doing it? You could either build better dikes, as the, as the Dutch do, but the Dutch know there's going to be storm systems that will breach even their dikes. There are events that will occur, uh, but they build for a one in a hundred event. Well, what does that mean? If you've only got records that are 60 years old, and of course that's my argument about the, the, the length of the weather records and the extremes of things. And, and so the other option is to just say no. You're in a low-lying area. We're not going to let you live there. Or if you want to live there, you're on your own if there's a disaster. Well, of course, the American people are so forgiving and so willing to help other people. They say, no, we're going to go in and help the, the victims. Uh, say, but, but if you live in an area where there's potential danger, wh- where is it my obligation to come and help you? 
You know, it, it, it's like the number of, of searches I went on for people that knew they were getting into dangerous areas. And they took the risk anyway. Then somebody else has got to come along and risk their lives to, to, to protect them. I basically developed the dictum that I'm my brother's keeper, but I'm not my stupid brother's keeper. <laughs> but what would happen if the U.S. government, in the land of the free, the government came in and said, no, sorry, we're going to zone those low-lying, environmentally uh, and, and climate-wise dangerous areas, we're going to zone those so you can't live there. You, or if you live there, you've got to build a house that can withstand a hurricane. Or that can cope with any natural disasters that occur. Because if, I'm telling you, if you go in and uh, build in a hurricane zone, don't be surprised if a hurricane comes along. And and so this this is part of the difficulty, and, and that you either have control over what people do, or you let them be stupid, and then you let them suffer the consequences. We're not doing any of those things. We're doing a mix of all of those things, and and it, it's just just crazy, especially when you know what the potential disasters are. And it's not being helped by people like NOAA who are not laying out uh, the, the realities of what are the hurricane zones. Now, you, 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 you could know it, say, with the farmers know it, with crop insurance. If you live in a zone that where you get, you get a lot of hail, your insurance is going to be higher. That's the marketplace determining what's going on. But the minute government come in, but what's the one thing that the government cover in the U.S. is flood insurance? Why do they do that? Why? Because the private insurance companies won't cover it. And, and so when you start to look at nature and reality and events, and then, of course, engineers say, well, yeah, we can build you a dike that will withstand a one-in-a-hundred-year flood. Well, what if you get a, a flood that's a one-in-two-hundred-year flooded? Well, sorry, we, we, that's going to cost you more to bill for that. And so, well, we don't want to spend the money. Well, then you run the risk. That's what people need to start to understand. It is not a no-risk world. It can never be a no-risk world. And you either uh, minimize the risk or understand the risk and accept the consequences. And, of course, that's what's going on. And, by the way, the influence of the insurance companies with Swiss Re and Munich Re, these companies had websites with all kinds of, oh, yeah, climate change, it's a disaster, you've got to stop it, or, or you, the insurance costs are going to go up. I mean, the, after Hurricane Andrew, insurance costs went up, and they came out with studies. Oh, hurricanes increase, uh, there, there are more of them, and they're more severe. It wasn't at all. What it turned out was they were measuring the cost of the hurricane to the insurance companies, and therefore, of course, the cost went up because the inflation of the dollar. And and um, it had nothing to do with what was happening naturally, but so, it was the insurance company influence, distortions, unreality, lack of understanding. And, and of course, people then are easily duped. It is a great, passionate pleasure today to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little more heated today than it's ever been, but it's well, good. It's I, all good. I must say, you speak very clearly with your tongue in your cheek. I, <laughs> <laughs> I used I used to tell the students that when you can speak clearly with your tongue in your cheek, you're ready to graduate. Yeah. Well, I just I really want to thank you for your input and your passion and for being a really, really good teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to read more about Tim Ball, 
Go to drtimball.com. He has thousands of incredible articles that'll really illuminate a lot of what's going on with climate and weather and donate. If you're in a position, please donate to himself to be able to do continued work and or to his legal firm or to both. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for the opportunity, Kim.